This is Friends of Europe. For more, go to friendsofeurope.org. Now ready to go for a second session and discussion about money. Money makes the world go round, they say, as you know from the famous song, and we know in reality money matters. But in the context of this conversation and this conference, we want to look at, as we say here, financing research for innovative leadership. Uh, we have again an interesting panel, uh, cross-sectoral again, uh, with the peppering of you know, public authority, academics, etc., and so on, so we have a, uh, and the private sector. So we have a whole range of perspectives to um, stimulate your brain and your thoughts and your engagement with us. Um, clearly, money matters. So some, I remember speaking to someone um, who shall remain unnamed uh, within the Commission. That actually, there's enough money. It's about how we spend the current money more wisely and more efficiently and actually push it in the right directions. So this is not always about more money. However, I leave you with that thought, and I'm going to start with Dirk. Dirk, um, you, interestingly, you're, you're, referenced to, you're referenced as a transitions professor, and if you'd been in the previous panel, you'd heard that our Green MEP wants to create a transitions commissioner, so that's quite interesting. From your perspective, um, I'd like to hear about your thoughts on innovation research. Now, the theory of change that we have around energy transition is that we need lots of innovation if we're going to get there. And in particular, that innovation has to be the product of significant innovation research. What's your take on that theory of change perspective? Is it about just every type of innovation research? Or from your experience now, do we need to focus more in order to respond to the context that we're in now and all the reports globally, Europe-wide, actually, that we need to pick up pace. Dirk, over to you. Yes, thank you for the introduction. Also, thank you for having me here as an um, activist researcher uh, on transitions. I, I find it a bad idea, by the way, a transition commissioner, and I will explain why. Uh, <laughs> but let me first start with your question. So, Yes, we need innovation, but I also feel that um, how we phrase this question is part of the problem. Um, because there is a lot of innovation happening. So uh, from an academic perspective, um, and looking at uh, historical transitions as well as trying to uh, figure out how uh, the currently emerging transitions might unfold, um, we need to ask the question more academically. So what is happening and what types of changes uh, are interacting to potentially uh, cause systemic changes? Um, because this is the definition that we've developed in the transition research is a, a very uh, a disruptive, a chaotic process of systemic change on the longer term. Um, and these transitions happen to us, more or less. They are the result of emerging changes and innovations at different levels. So uh, there's broad change, uh, autonomous change in society. We've built these institutions and structures and infrastructures, the regime, as we call it, routines, um, that are path-dependent and are incremental. And then there's all sorts of individuals and organizations that try to come up with alternatives to those embedded norms and institutions and practices. So if we talk about innovation and innovation policy and innovation research, um, it's almost by definition part of the regime. So what is happening there is in policy and in research, we try to identify uh, the problems, we try to analyze them, we try to come up with solutions and then go through a rational process of negotiating the implementation of innovations. 
from our perspective, that is not a transition. So a transition starts by individuals. They can be civil servants, they can be city uh, officials, but they're often social entrepreneurs, they're activists, they're uh, transdisciplinary activist researchers that start to challenge the norm. So we talk a lot about transformative innovation. So it is distinct in that it tries to um, provide a fundamental critique of how institutions work, how the system works, and try to uh, proactively develop solutions. So in transition <laughs> research, it's really about uh, trying to identify which are the types of emerging alternatives that we want and how can we empower them and how can we take these forward. Um, and that is a completely different starting point than um, the debate in the previous panel, which was uh, around policy. So we talk a lot about plans, uh, strategies, projects. We try to think about the innovations we want, but that is a control mechanism. Um, and the same goes for a lot of social sciences, by the way. So we sit in our disciplines and we try to understand the problem and come up with solutions and make an argument for more innovation of this type, more money for social sciences. I think we need to rethink what we want to empower, both in terms of identifying what we don't want anymore, so come up with a much more, um, let's say, destruction policy or phase-out policies, and how to create the space for the kind of innovation that is emerging that um, at least takes us on the road towards a desired future. How do we do that? I mean, because you're saying, you're asking, there's something in the heart of what you're saying is about let's change the mindset or really invert or change the paradigm about this it, it, to a certain extent. But so both sides, I mean, you know, public sector, private sector, all, uh, but also your, your little kind of uh, tick at the sciences, social sciences, research, etc. community as well need to change. But how do we move into that space to create what you're, what you're describing as, you know, um, phase out policy? Because that means you're going to have to actually say that there's bits of research that we've done that's just simply just not necessary anymore in terms of its utility to the public marketplace. I, I think, uh, so uh, I started 20 years ago uh, stepping into this field of, of uh, transition research and mm. trying to think about the governance challenges and issues. Mm. A lot has changed since then. So we are now actually uh, witnessing the, the, um, the mechanisms and the patterns of actual systems change in terms of the social unrest, in terms of the market disruptions, in terms of the exponential growth and diffusion of alternatives. So there's actually signs of transitions. So we don't need to do it. It's more an individual question of do we step into this space and also try um, to bring what we know into a different type of context. Mm. This means stop uh, problematizing and stu uh, studying the problem and start to focus attention on uh, the question, how do these alternatives that are out there, the uh, zero energy communities, the renewable energy cooperatives, the new um, uh, energy currencies, um, the local uh, democ uh, democracy um, initiatives, you name it, mm. it's all out there emerging. Mm. Uh, how might we de help develop that into uh, becoming the norm? Right, so you're saying that actually 
use this social science and uh, um, you know humanities research activity to focus on what's currently out there that's either working or not, but actually seems to be working. But use that to, you know, the research entry point is about how do you escalate that. Well, the, the research uh, starting point is that uh, we ha only have hypotheses on how potential future energy transitions might unfold. Mm -hmm. But we also have very strong guiding values. So we know by now we have a large agreement it needs to be sustainable and inclusive and democratic and affordable. So it's an hypothesis that sure. we're working on mm -hmm. and the experiments are out there. So we have to bring... Uh, methodologies and a science uh, uh, mindset, but also an, an engaged uh, uh, personality to those practices and uh, see these desired transitions much more as a social research project. Mm -hmm. So given that you've got one of the largest funders of R&D activity to your right, um, what would you say to him as he's thinking about Horizon Europe, therefore, based on what you're well, saying right now? I, I, uh, What's the one uh, thing you'd say... Patrick, I'd do this. Um, invest a billion euros in a social research infrastructure uh, project. Like uh, the physics have it, they have this CERN or ITER, I don't know. Um, so a one billion uh, investment to link up all these niches of um, uh, applied social science research on uh, solutions for uh, the energy transition. Okay. See what you think of that in the audience. I'll bring you in in a moment, too, on that particular point. Thank you very much for that. Um, Patrick, <clears throat> we obviously you can respond to that particular recommendation, uh, but I think I'd rather go to the more kind of potentially uh, um, provocative question um, that you heard this morning from our colleagues from Ruskin Anglia University that in terms of their assessment of Horizon 2020 research, 4% uh, if it went into, you know, uh, into this particular area of SSH. Um, is your target to increase that into the future? Um, well, look, thanks for having me here. Um, and I'd like to start by congratulating uh, Shape Energy and the consortium for the excellent work they've done and the opportunity that we have to discuss these issues here and the, and the platform that you've built up, because I think it is uh, extremely important, uh, and I'll say why in a minute, that we are able to build much more of the uh, social sciences humanities into the work we're doing across the piece in uh, Horizon Europe, including in particular in areas like uh, energy transition, climate change, mobility, uh, where the impact uh, both in economic and social terms are potentially extremely significant. Um, I mean, in the figure of 4%, of course, is... Uh, uh, been, been mentioned, uh, I mean, it is only a small part. It is the dedicated budget, which is specifically earmarked for um, research in these sort of areas. Uh, and my ambition, and I think that the ambition which underlies the Commission's proposal for Horizon Europe, uh, is that while, of course, we will maintain uh, some dedicated uh, resources for um, secure and fair societies, uh, that we must work much harder on mainstreaming the um, uh, social and uh, human dimension uh, of what we are doing into all of the rest of our programs. Um, and I prefer not, if I may, to sort of set a, a sort of headline goal, attractive though it is, of a billion euros, um, but rather to concentrate on what we're trying to uh, achieve in terms of the outputs. 
um, and that is to design our research and innovation projects and programs in a way which, from the beginning, through the development, and then in the, the sort of outcomes, uh, much better uh, integrate the, the whole SSH dimension than perhaps we've managed to do in the past with the more fragmented uh, sort of uh, structure that we've had for um, Horizon 2020. So Horizon Europe, our, our proposals for the next um, uh, financial cycle, um, deliberately try to uh, cross silos, overcome barriers between disciplines, uh, and bring together things that, that naturally come together. Uh, so we've got a much streamlined uh, uh, approach to the structure of the whole program, with in particular you know, a single cluster covering together for the first time uh, energy, climate, and mobility. Um, uh, we, we have an overall objective of 35% uh, uh, of the whole budget being used for um, uh, climate-related activities. Uh, and so I think that you know, we, we have the legal framework, if that's what now emerges from the interinstitutional discussions, which is still going on, of course, uh, with the European Parliament and, and with the Council, uh, to have a much more cohesive, joined-up, um, sort of silo-busting approach. And I think that, that's something that we should uh, cling on to and which will help us to integrate and mainstream much more effectively um, SSH uh, elements into, into our programs. And I think the other good news of the recent weeks is that we also have um, a, a rather clear policy framework in which to, uh, to work. Uh, and the Commission's uh, communication of the end of... Um, uh, November, just before the Katowice COP meetings, uh, a clean planet for all, this medium-term strategy for full decarbonisation by 2050, um, with really far-reaching and major implications in many different areas. I mean, of course, the energy system, energy efficiency, but also mobility, um, uh, the, you know, the way we organise our societies. And I think if you read that document, as well as... Um, Another paper which came out from our DG more or less at the same time, the report of a high-level panel on decarbonisation pathways, you see present throughout that really underlined the importance of uh, taking account of the socio-economic implications of the sort of uh, pathways that we are imagining. I mean, of course, there are huge and exciting economic opportunities um, as we've seen already with the very swift and successful development of renewable energy in the European economy and the strength that that's given us also to reach out into world markets. I mean, there are many similar opportunities in other areas of the um, clean energy climate transition, but there are also potential really serious and significant adjustments. And I think we need to move away from um, a, an approach which, you know, perhaps to oversimplify, um, uses SSH projects and, 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 you know, sort of analysis to help us deal with the negative consequences of things that we've already done um, and rather shift it to, you know, well, if we are really seriously going to embark on a, tr a transition of this magnitude, then we need to um, build in SSH to a much greater extent um, at all phases, as I said earlier, in the program's uh, um, uh, design and, and development. And that includes how we 
deal with it in our internal policies, uh, but also how we project and engage uh, with the rest of the world as I hope Europe continues to occupy a very leading position in the global debate on climate change. If I could just conclude by, by also uh, thanking the consortium for the, um, the, the seven principles that we've seen on the screen earlier, and I think that they do give some very uh, helpful pointers to us in the Commission as we uh, seek to design and develop our, our future programs. I mean, I, the only point I'd make there is I think that these messages are also relevant for the wider community. I mean, you remember that the European Union, rich though we are, is a relatively small player in the overall research and innovation funding landscape. And I think that the same messages could equally be relevant uh, for the uh, member state uh, uh, research and innovation activities. And also, if I may underline it, the um, contribution from the private sector, which, you know, in the end is going to play the biggest part in making a success of the uh, uh, energy and climate transition. Thank you very much. Thank you, Patrick. So you've just heard directly um, uh, from the main man, if I can call you that, Patrick, in this, uh, this, uh, this occasion. Um, hey, let, let me big you up. It's, it's good. Um, in that clearly the principles, as you say, um, have traction and are meaningful. So then I'd urge you in the audience to rethink again, if you haven't had the opportunity to go onto Sledo, as I said, the, the steps are very simple. You just get onto the website um, and then, you know, push in, you know, shape energy and then actually push in your name because the more signatures that we get, the more there'll be power to Patrick's elbow to say, yes, let's do more on this, despite the fact you've said what you've said. Um, so I, do, I would urge you to get, 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 get on your phones and, and sign up if you haven't. Um, what's your response to the, the one billion idea? that you heard from your colleague? Well, I mentioned it Not in passing with, spot, without obviously. being excessively enthusiastic. No, I think, look, the important thing is to concentrate not on the sort of symbolic headline figure of, you know, well, what can we separately identify and manage as SSH-linked policy, but actually be creative and clever in building the SSH content of mainstream, if I can call it that, um, policy under the different uh, clusters and thematic challenges. So I think it is unhelpful to set a headline global figure, and I'm sure a billion you know, is a figure which may or may not be scientifically based. Um, but rather, if we end up with a, at the end of the program with a billion or even two billion, if we you know, go through each individual project, I'd be happy. But I'd rather we go get there because we have... Um, you know, collectively come to the conclusion that uh, the success of our research and innovation agenda depends increasingly on incorporating, mainstreaming the SSH component in what we're doing on energy, on mobility, on the environment, rather than setting ourselves up front uh, a sort of headline target, which would then, I think, you know, push us in the direction of segregation and separation, okay. um, which is, you know, for me... Uh, what, what, what would go against the philosophy of the proposal of Horizon Europe. Indeed. And I think I take your point about mainstreaming completely, right? But one of the things, and you know this well from your experience and, and you know, uh, others in the room, when governments or, or funders uh, say that we're going to mainstream something, one questions, actually, the point at which you learn whether it hasn't been mainstream is probably at the end of the programme. And there's not a continuous sense of actually um, how do you not necessarily hold your feet to the fire, wouldn't dare say that. How do you achieve democratic accountability? And is there a different way of thinking about the way in which your fund runs, but bringing in a democratic loop 
into it, which is not simply the European Parliament. I hope you're not making any suggestions about the democratic credentials of the European Parliament. No, don't go uh, there. No, no. <laughs> um, no, no. Um, well, I mean, what I think is important, and maybe an indirect answer to your question, um, is that the overarching policy framework properly takes account of all the different components, including the socioeconomic dimension. And that's why I thought it was important to mention the communication that we've recently adopted on the sort of medium-term strategy for greenhouse gas emissions and the contribution that we'll make to the IPCC and the UNFCCC in 2020, um, because the whole socioeconomic underpinning of that strategy is so clear and strong. Mm -hmm. And I think then if you can, you can, I'm very happy for you to hold my feet to the fire or other people's feet to the fire on saying, well, look, you have set out a strategy which says in order to get where we want to go, the full decarbonisation by 2050, we have to do certain things. These things imply major radical changes in the way our societies, the way our economies function. And you have said in your policy framework that in order, therefore, to achieve those policy objectives, you need to give much more attention uh, in your research and innovation policies that are helping you get there to also the um, social and, and economic uh, implications rather than just the technologies or the industrial systems. And I think there's where the sort of accountability comes. Mm -hmm. then you, you know, and, and I think it's not only a question of accountability, it's also a question of effectiveness uh, and our collective uh, capacity to achieve the objectives that we've set out. Okay, great. I know that Dirk, you're, you're smiling wryly, but I may not bring you in right, right away because I want to bring the audience. What do you think of what you've heard so far? Any questions, any queries from your perspective? Great. Two here. The mics, just this gentleman here and then the lady here on the same table. Were there any hands on this side? Great. Okay. Sorry, do you mind if we go the other way around? Just because I had the mic. Thank you. By all means. Okay. Uh, Suzanne de Chevenier. I'm with CNRS in, in France, and I um, chaired, I had the honor of chairing the expert group that helped the Commission do the midterm evaluation of how gender issues entered uh, research as a cross cutting issue. And it gives a viewpoint, it's an interesting viewpoint, but because to get gender issues in, you have to get SHS issues in, otherwise uh, it Indeed. doesn't work. So just a couple of comments from that. Um, underlining, to say it re very quickly, the sort of power issues mm. that there are at all levels between hard sciences, I'm going really quickly, and social sciences. And it's, it's very important to, to face that because it's a problem you reach, you meet at all levels, and uh, one of our conclusions was you have to work at all levels, A, on the definitions of programs, on the writing of topics uh, within the calls, uh, at the evaluation level, that's a major level, and uh, really the sort of strong issue is to get social sciences out of the acceptability at the end of a project uh, position. And I'd suggest very much pushing for social sciences to lead projects, to have a very strong hard science if necessary, but to have the sort of leading position of coordination would improve things, I think. But I think there's a credibility gap there, isn't there? Or there's a doubt that actually social sciences could actually deliver. No, I'd call it a power relation more than a credibility. I mean, that's a very good that's way of good. showing you're powerful. Thank you very much. 
I was obviously being deliberately a devil's advocate. I hope you appreciate that. Gentlemen there, say who you are. Uh, Stefan Buzerowski, uh, University of Manchester, uh, also European uh, Union Energy Poverty Observatory. I remarked the comments earlier, and I think one thing that, and actually very similar to Suzanne's comment, uh, I think what really needs to be emphasized, if we are going to move towards genuine social science representation further down the line, we have to take social science and humanities on their own terms. Social science and humanities cannot be the vehicle that will deliver a certain technology. That, that's what worries me in a lot of this discussion. So it's almost like the technology is there, we just need to be there to deliver it. We need to understand social process first and move from there onto the technology. I think this is something that really where we need to start discussing a lot more about what those kinds of calls would be. Because, you know, if, if we have one billion CERN, our CERN, you know, it's fundamental research. They're not, I mean, they're not asked to deliver a product at the end. But whenever I'm a social scientist, I feel like I have to deliver a product. I have to deliver a scheme. And that's not where genuine innovation happens. So I just want to be a little bit more provocative, but hopefully we can have a discussion around that. Okay. Firstly, just yourself and then the gentleman here. I just want to... Uh, Say who uh, you are again, I'm afraid. Yes, uh, Laura Vanvier. I am a, a researcher on working on the... Uh, energy efficiency and uh, uh, transition, uh, energy transition uh, issue. I just want to uh, ask if the fact that with all the support on technology, on industrial system, on uh, uh, financing scheme, the DG Energy or EAS uh, uh, has, has been uh, given the, the past uh, 10 years, I would say, the fact that uh, we are now in the phase where the uh, energy consumption is again uh, increasing. Does it? This is this could be a determinant argument to to look uh, somewhere else, maybe, and to uh, to support uh, 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 social science uh, humanity. I don't know. Could be that uh, uh, an argument. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Gentleman here. Ah, okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for being such a good citizen. Okay, uh, Patrick, do you want to come back to any of those points in particular? Well, um, I mean, I think they're very sensible points, mm. and I, I you know, have a lot of sympathy with them. I, I certainly agree that um, uh, we should uh, get away from a mentality of, you know, sort of, social sciences being sort of instrumentalized to deliver particular technological solutions. And I think that if you do look at the, uh, the papers that I mentioned, you know, we, we do see things in a much more joined up and integrated way. Um, and I also um, welcome your point um, uh, about the importance of, uh, you know, sort of um, getting, getting beyond the sort of power tug of war if I can put it like that, you know, I mean, I, I, I speak you know, from time to time in audiences with academics, and you know, what I find quite difficult is when there's a sort of black and white tug of war. You know, you're not spending enough on social sciences. Oh yes, we are. Oh, you know, you know. and it, it's more a question of well, how can we get beyond that and and integrate fully 
um, and the, the social sciences component in, into the design, evaluation, and implementation of the project. And certainly, you know, the idea that uh, a, a project or a program where the center of gravity is clearly in the social sciences rather than in the technolo technology or the industrial processes, having more leadership of uh, social science uh, uh, researchers seems to me to be an excellent way uh, to help us achieve this mainstreaming rather than by setting sort of artificial targets or benchmarks or that sort of thing. So, I mean, I think the, the, the comments are, um, uh, are extremely uh, relevant. And I think that, you know, the, the trend for energy consumption you know, is indeed an indicator that, that you know, perhaps uh, uh, we're not yet uh, fully understanding the dynamics of society and certainly that in terms of the, uh, the overarching uh, arguments on the dangers of climate change and the potential costs of dealing with the consequences of climate change are not yet you know, fully effectively communicated and that's also something that we can um, uh, integrate better into the research projects that we, des we design with the socioeconomic uh, implications considered alongside the technological considerations. Thank you. Dirk, can I ask you to respond specifically to that, the, the issue raised around the power dynamic between hard and soft sciences? Uh, now, how yeah, that, I, that to your point, actually, earlier. Uh, uh, power and disempowerment. So uh, from my perspective, a transition is a systems change, is a power change. Um, and as long as uh, the incumbent institutions set the conditions for innovation and research, um, that one will only lead to optimization or incremental improvements. And um, I, I hear, again, calls for more research on why this, these things are problematic or why this is happening. Or, but this is a delay mechanism. So basically for, uh, let's say, uh, I'll be modest, 30 years, we basically know we need to shift to low-carbon lifestyles, uh, move away from fossil fuels, have to phase out fossil subsidies, um, have to um, have radical reductions in energy consumption. We know all this stuff. We've done the research. There's the technologies out. It's not happening. Why? Because the money is earned in uh, energy consumption and in maybe also more research. So my call for a, a billion was not a, a symbolic figure um, to aspire, but was more the argument that um, the way that the social sciences are um, uh, financed, but also organized, is disempowering. So it's all on the short term. What can you do when, it, when you talk about behavioral change or uh, these kind of transitions? It's a very long-term uh, uh, process. And it's, uh, it uh, requires um, a much more concerted effort at, at a much higher level of scale than in individual communities or on individual projects or on seven cities and the energy policy department. So if we are serious and if the EU Commission is serious about uh, engaging in this transition, it needs to empower the social science community to actually challenge the dominant norms in science the way uh, that the science logic that is dominated by the natural sciences, uh, but it also needs to uh, empower the social science community to challenge incumbent interest. And it's not CERN, so we're not looking for a molecule, but we're looking for a way to make a low-carbon lifestyle and production and consumption within ecological boundaries um, affordable, feasible, and democratic. 
And that's a very clear challenge. It's a very good manifesto line. I suppose the issue really is that whether with the research or not, and this is not, a, not necessarily asking you to answer, but something to think about for the whole panel, is whether, whether if we get that conundrum right of research uh, funding, will that actually enable the pace and urgency that we need to tackle the, the, the future we know? that we have at hand. On that point, Michael, can I refer to, come to you? Uh, from, you know, from an industry perspective, um, you know, you're, you're a large, large company, NG, very well known, for, and, and your track record in, in, in these matters. But what's, what's your expectation? What are your um, hopes and expectations of the future um, Horizon Europe framework? In particular, this thing, this whole conundrum about the relationship between um, SSH activity, research, and energy policy thinking and, and decision-making. Um, thank you for the question uh, and for allowing, allowing me to speak and to give a bit of feedback from uh, the perspective of an industrial uh, actor who um, wishes also to see, of course, uh, money coming out of the R&D uh, outlays that, 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 that it... Um, that it makes. Um, first of all, Engie um, believes that the energy transition must be um, competitive uh, to the benefit of households and businesses, or otherwise there is a high risk uh, of it stalling or, or, or failing uh, right away. And I will say, uh, say a bit more about this um, in a minute, because that's the main point of my intervention here today. I will say more about uh, the power of incentives and of uh, behavioral uh, psychology and things like that and the importance um, thereof. Now, um, NG has some thousand employees active in, in R&D worldwide, uh, traditionally and still with a heavy uh, STEM focus, uh, but we are giving increasing uh, priority to research into uh, behavioral psychology, uh, neuromarketing, uh, nudge management and other things uh, why? Because we want to understand what drives and incentivizes our customers, be they householders, businesses, um, or, uh, or communities, cities, for example. Now, to come to the, to, to the main theme of, of um, the couple of minutes I, I am allowed to speak, uh, as NG, we believe that when it comes to priorities or determining the priorities in the relationship between uh, SSH on the one hand, and energy uh, policy thinking and development on the other hand, great emphasis should be put uh, on a competitive energy transition, or at the very least, uh, an energy transition of which the, the benefits are crystal clear, very clear to businesses and households. Uh, let, me, let me explain myself uh, with, with, with an example. Uh, climate change is, is rapidly becoming uh, an emergency. It's no longer a discussion topic, but an emergency, and I will not cite um, examples. Everybody knows them. It's now year-round huh, that we are uh, going around as firemen and women around the globe, which is disastrous. So most people understand this. But in the meantime, we feel as a company that there is little or no room left for increases of the energy bill. And the reactions of the uh, Gilets Jaunes movement in France to a proposed fuel tax are evidence of this reality, even if this movement, of course, translates, no doubt, deeper uh, issues than only the fuel tax. Now, for households, a decrease in the energy bill means purchasing power, and for businesses, it means uh, competitiveness. 
So now to come to, to, to my more uh, overarching point, researchers, policymakers, and energy companies must develop, according to Engie, a deep understanding of the incentives which can bring households and businesses to actually uh, consume less energy, if, uh, in other words, uh, energy efficiency, or to opt for energy sources and solutions which are climate friendly. And incentives, and that's well known, eh, be they financial, social or psychological, determine an enormous proportion of, of human behavior. And not understanding these incentives, or worse, installing incentives which are completely wrong, can lead to, to terrible consequences uh, and outcomes. So to sum it up, the energy transition, according to us at least, shall be competitive or it shall not be. That's a bit of a soundbite. Uh, and therefore, energy SSH must figure prominently amongst Horizon Europe's priorities with this very reality in mind. And to come back to the seven principles that were discussed this morning, so I describe, even if I start from the fact if I agreed with the first four that I agree with the, with the last three, so I think they made... Uh, a lot of sense, and what has um, struck a bit of a chord with me as well what, was what um, uh, Professor Lohrbach said, that, that transitions uh, happen to us, eh? we don't make them happen or control them, but I do think that if we put more emphasis on understanding the behavior of the people and of not manipulating it, but at least making sure we can strike the, 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 the points where, where people can be pushed into the behavior that, that we want and that is actually needed for humanity, that would be a, um, a great step uh, forward. So that is my, uh, my humble contribution. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Very interesting. Can you kind of say a little bit more about the compet competition point in terms of how the, kind of the research funding or the kind of funding from you know, R&D funding can help in that context? What do you mean specifically? Bouncing back to your point that you made about the kind of the situation about the fuel tax in, in, in France and the reaction we got to that. What I said about competition was not immediately linked to, uh, to with, with a link to, to research, to R&D, etc. What it was meant to say is that um, uh, it was about, about this energy bill issue because you can ask people and even if they are convinced, that's why I said people know that climate change is an emergency. Mm. But businesses, they have to be competitive or they go bust and somebody else opens up shop next to them and, and, uh, and the jobs are, are lost and all the pain that goes with it. Yeah. And for householders, it is, uh, it is uh, purchasing power. So, so it is, is this whole debate between the end, of the, the end of the world and the end of the month. So that's yeah. why I, I mentioned competitiveness and purchasing power. There was no direct link. Okay. Excuse me for that. Between no, not at all. It might be the topic. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I think there's a point that actually that research can point policy discussion and policy uh, uh, momentum towards understanding that you need a competitive field out there if you're going to um, tackle this problem without getting into situations like we did in France where, you know, one objective we clearly did not understand what was under, beneath the skin of the community um, and taking a kind of a, a very dull, sharp um, policy Objective can can do 
you know, significant harm um, um, in, in terms of the public. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'm going to, before I bring you, bring the audience back in for a conversation, turn to our MEP on the panel. Um, Kathleen, you've, um, you know, you've been the chair um, of the committee, or no, you've been on the Committee for Industry, Research and Energy. And I think very much like my question to the other um, MEP we had, the panel was that actually from your perspective, are you seeing um, a shift in thinking around this agenda uh, about it incorporating uh, and the incorporating SSH into uh, policy making, but also funding priorities? Um, and I suppose the second bit of my question is very much forward-looking, like I asked the previous uh, MEP, was that if you had one ask of the new mandate, what would that be? So if you start with the first in terms of the kind of, do you, are you seeing from where you're sitting on the, on the committee, have you seen evidence that we've seen a shift in thinking, a mindset change that um, SSH activities, research activities, are framing policymaking? Yeah, for sure. Not, not just, um, not just on, the, on the basis of R&D, but overall there's been a major shift the last mm -hmm. uh, 10 years. Okay. Um, when, when I started in, in, in political life, and especially in European Parliament, in the first term, um, we still had to battle the issues of climate change. There was even a majority to be found to be against climate change. That sort of stupidities are gone. We have one, two, maybe ten MEPs in the Parliament that still believe climate change is not happening. But overall, that's the good news. The bad news is, I think... Um, uh, we still do not agree on radical change, um, mm. neither in research and development or in policy, and they go hand in hand. Uh, um, to give an example and to jump into the subject immediately, um, myself personally, um, we worked very hard to get a higher ambition on, um, on, on, uh, on the climate uh, um, goals into um, uh, Horizon 2020. We've pushed it up, um, but... We, we, we did not exceed um, the other part of, 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 uh, of the game. That is, what we need to do at the European level, when it concerns public money, is to radically say we will not subsidize, we will no longer make sure that R&D money is spent on fossil fuels. No more longer. We didn't succeed that. Uh, so it's still, and maybe that's a little bit what you wanted to say, um, um, institutions and political um, uh, decision-making is rightly so, that's democracy based on a lot of compromises, uh, um, but we lack, in that sense, radical direction. And with radical, I don't mean extreme, I mean just be very consequent with what you need to do. We all went, um, well, not me personally, but uh, all the big political leaders to sign the Paris Agreement, and they all went to Katowice and in between all to Bonn, whatever, to say that we all go in the, the same direction, we'll keep it below the two degrees, but we do not take that consequence. And the same goes for research and development. Uh, um, that's a little bit my first point. My second point is um, um, how I do believe how important it is to integrate humanitarian and social sciences um, in, 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 in future research and development, but also in the, into the policy making. It, you, you mentioned it already. Um, we, as a politician, you also look very deeply in what's happening in your societies. Uh, um, and the Gilets jaunes, for, for instance, um, uh, I, I could not predict that, I have to say. I'm a sociologist myself, uh, so um, I could not predict that, and I haven't seen one sociologist um, predicting um, that um, at the basis of our society, people were get, getting rather angry, um, and, and maybe rightly so, no, not maybe, rightly so, 
um, because um, the whole climate policy, and that goes hand in hand with the way we do research and development, is so much based on how do we make sure that we have the technological solutions for everything. Uh, and then if we have the technological solutions, then the politicians come in and say, oh, let's do a target on renewable. Let's do a target on energy efficiency. Without or not enough taking into account how will we implement that. Do we have societies in our cities? Do we have societies um, uh, in business world? Do we have the support of implementing that in a way that people accept that? Um, and, and of course, if you just say, um, uh, oh, we will, I, I've been the chair of the Dieselgate Committee That's in the it. Parliament. Not yes, that, indeed, uh, indeed you have. Yes. Um, uh, um, and there we said we need to absolutely phase out um, uh, the, the combustion engine, and I still believe we have to do that. But just by saying that, it's not just good enough. Uh, how will people um, in the peripheric um, uh, regions of Europe be able to go to work if you just say, well, get an electric car? That doesn't make any sense. People cannot afford an electric car. So if you don't have solutions for that, you don't know what the impact will be on your societies, um, uh, it's just not good enough. Um, and, and in that sense, I, I strongly believe that... Um, that we need um, that transitional thinking in combination of, of the effect in our societies. Um, uh, for me, we did that in, 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 um, in Horizon 2020, but again, it could have been much, much more radical um, and much more um, in line with all the, the agreements that we sign all of the time. Mm. And I take your point about, you know, you, you set a target, but you have to really think about the social capability or the society's capability to implement. But the point you made just about electric cars, one of the roles R&D can play is that how do you, re and going back to Michael's point about competition, how do you kind of really focus? You know that electrification is, is, is a part of the solution. How do you fund the research to get to a cheaper battery solution, a cheaper you know, engine that's going to actually run in a different way uh, before Asia, let's say in particular China, uh, wins again and comes up with the solution? Well, we're losing the battle. Eh? Let's 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 agree on that. Eh? As we lost the battle on renewables, we're losing the ba the battle on the batteries, eh? uh, because we do we do not dare to take that radical um, that sort of radical decisions. Mm. Eh? Um, and in radical decisions, it's not just R and D. Eh? At the same time, um, well, I'm a social democrat. Maybe that can explain why I'm I'm telling what I'm telling. But at the same time, you have to also direct your industries. Mm. Don't leave it as it is. Just direct them, not only by subsidizing, but, but uh, getting the strict calls on that. But at the same time, um, if we talk about electrification of our transport system, at the same time, start thinking about the whole sharing idea. How do we implement that? How can we get people um, uh, involved into that? Because an electric car, by the essence of the electrification of the car, is a very good product to be shared. Um, and, 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 in, and in that sense, Europe is not that much better than the United States. Still in our thinking, we think we need to own the car, and the car is mine, and it's so difficult to, to share it with the neighbor. Changing that, mm. for that we need um, good um, uh, humanitarian and, and sociological yeah, sure, research. Sure. And, and again, mm. so it will not help just to say we will change um, the the, the, the combustion engine with an electric engine, mm. and that's the solution. That will not help. Mm. No, indeed not. So there's a culture question, but there's also, I mean, especially on the electric car basis, we know it's a model that works, but unfortunately it's only kept at the high end of the market. So therefore, the, you know, the ordinary punter can't possibly in their lifetime afford it. But the point here is, 
if, if, you, if you share it, you can. But also, if you do use R&D to produce a cheaper uh, product model, that means that you're, you're using the point that was made earlier by Simone in the earlier panel, is that actually how do you get the system to really bend and in, enthuse itself to create a lower carbon footprint, which makes it easier, cheaper, and better for the end consumer to make those habit changes. And, you know, that's the issue. But can I, you didn't answer my, my last, my question about what you'd want from the Europe mandate, but before you do answer that, Michael, directing industry, what's your response to that? Because you said some good things, but now how do you feel about that? Right. Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot deliberately. Yes, yes, yes. Um... Directing industries in general, of course, is not what a, yeah. a, cap <laughs> a, a capitalist will agree with. Huh? So, um, in general, f first of all, if you say we're losing against China in batteries like we lost in renewables, to adopt the Chinese system of deciding for one billion people what to do and not to do, for me, is not something that I would advocate and I strongly believe but that is stepping a bit away in general what the, the, the big breakthroughs have come in general by free enterprise now that being said uh, if you are, fa are faced with, with climate change as we are decisions have to be made and if uh, targets have to be imposed at a certain level they, they, they are imposed there is no discussion about it and then the industry has to, has to adapt but everything depends on what you're discussing about when you say directing industries. Uh, you have to be, um, well, like I said, I'm not the biggest enthusiast about that, but that's not a surprise. You probably knew that was coming. Indeed. Can you Definitely. then ask, uh, can you then just answer the question, the car industry, for instance, um, the very powerful European German car industry, they invest billions of money in electrification in the United States and they refuse to do so in, in Europe. Should we accept that? <laughs> you don't have to answer that question, it's okay. <laughs> Perhaps the audience can respond no, no. to that. It's because, it, it's because um, um, uh, on the contrary... the reason why are they doing that? Because they still, yeah, they, there is a sort of um, belief in the European car industry that um, diesel is still mm, the market, yeah. the market, and is still the technology to move ahead, because they make a lot of profit with the diesel car, of course, eh? and it's a technology that is a typical European technology. In the States, they don't get, they don't move with the diesel, so they they start on the electrification, um, and in that sense, I think we do need a diesel ban, for instance. Um, then on your second question. Please, yes. So what's, yes, your, uh, so what's, your, what's your question or what's your um, uh, one wish or demand or priority of the new, as I said before, hopefully, woman, mm. uh, you know, president of the commission? Well, you either can answer that with a governance issue in the sense, and maybe that was also been one of the answers before, but I, I do think we need um, in the next commission... Um, we need a completely other economic governance uh, system. Uh, mm -hmm. The actual current uh, economic governance systems that, that we have is based um, after the financial crisis, um, uh, based on purely and only uh, budgetary rules. Um, and, and it's not helping. What, 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 it's only helping to, to make sure that we don't have um, uh, difficulties in budgets. And I don't like difficulties in budgets mm. and, and deficits and so on. But it's, it's not a societal goal, is it? The society goals is the transformation of our economy. Um, so we need to change that governance into 
let's take the sustainable development goals as, 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 as an example. That should be the governance. Um, and, and it seems very technocratic and technological, uh, uh, technocratic, um, uh, but I think it's extremely important for the European Union that, the, for instance, the basis of uh, research and development, uh, the basis of the policies of the futures, should not be governed by only budgetary rules. There you need the sustainable development goals. That, that would be my priority. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much. So, people, do you think some hands are up already? Okay. Gentlemen here at the front. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, as I said earlier, my name is Uwe Wissen. I work for the External Action Service, but uh, not asking this on behalf of my institution, of course. Um, I, I, I'm a little, um, how to say, puzzled because we have very different uh, opinions uh, on the panel, but everybody seems to agree. Um, and it doesn't really come out uh, where, where the differences are. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to, to something more radical than mainstreaming, while I sympathize with the fact that Patrick has very well explained that these things have to be um, put into, out, out of silos into, into a sort of common purpose. Uh, but then the sort of directing the industry thing uh, and then using electrical cars as an example, I think is exactly the wrong thing because uh, we could argue for hydrogen cars being much better than, than electrical cars and, and there are probably lots of arguments for and against and I'm not uh, obviously in a position to, 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 to check who's right and who's wrong on this. But uh, I think the direction uh, should be a lot more... Um, in, in, in the way the professor has explained, although it remained a bit nebulous, uh, what you mean by financing sort of research to, to transition and, 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 and get things out. But um, if you have in, uh, the, the, the undirected industry, so basically the only value for you is profit, basically, uh, and that is, no, no, I'm, I'm characterizing, but I mean, uh, the, the, this is basically how capitalism works. I mean, companies, you said yourself, they either are competitive or they go bust, so they have to make profit. Um, so why don't we do research that uh, um, um, allows sort of uh, getting the right incentives in place uh, to make sure that companies are not only driven by profit, but they, uh, for instance, other goals such as to say sustainable development goals, social responsibility and all sorts of things, and that these incentives get translated into something concrete, let's say uh, reform tax systems and so on and so forth, in which research money could be, uh, could be, could be invested, so that you, you know, that you'd actually uh, have an instrument at the end of the day that, that changes that, uh, that the incentive systems and, and, and so on. And I mean, I think we, we, we know a lot about these things, but I don't see any research programs, for instance, doing that sort of thing. And I would argue against the, the gentleman over there, this is in a, in a time of emergency, not time for fundamental research, but it's time for, for research that goes exactly in that direction to solve an emergency. And as the okay. professor said, to sort of bring these things together and go from knowing what's out there, knowing what has to be done, into actually developing an incentive systems that both the regulators, the companies, the citizens okay. can actually do uh, to, to implement these things. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Anybody else out there? Gentleman here. Oh. I'm Gerd Schoenwelder from the European Commission. Um, I'd like to put a different spin on this 1 billion euro question and the idea of um, having SSH disciplines take the lead in defining research problems. 
And this is a question to all the panel. Um, if you had a chance, since uh, we're talking in the context of Horizon Europe so much about research missions, um, if you had a chance to say, well, what should a research mission look like that starts from SSH and that focuses on SSH, do you have a title for it? What could we call a research mission like that? So repeat that. Say, if, if you don't take the, the amount of money, the 1 billion euros as such, but you say, well, if you take a 1 billion or whatever figure you want and you say, what research mission should we think about in terms of SSH? You know, we talk about supercomputers, we talk about cancer, we talk about things like that. But if you start from the SSH and you say, well, if we do want to have a research mission that starts from SSH, what could it be? Okay. Perhaps that'll... Let's put the cat amongst the pigeon with the research community. Can I direct it to some of you in the audience too? Um, I will come to you. But the gentleman who had his hand up, and then I'll come back to the panel. Uh, there is a general understanding that we have to abolish diesel cars. So diesel cars, they consume, they, let's say, they emit more or less 20% uh, less emissions per kilometer than petrol cars. So if we ban diesel cars, we will get tomorrow 20% more emissions. They are in some countries, uh, in the, in, compared to electric cars, in some countries electric cars, they emit less. In some other countries, electric cars, they emit more than diesel cars. This depends on the electricity, uh, electric mix. But as a matter of fact, the problem is that if we would switch suddenly to electric cars, the problem is how much time and money would take to provide that electricity with renewable energy. The Netherlands, uh, to uh, facilitate the transition uh, uh, from uh, um, gas, uh, they built a, a coal-fired power plant of one, uh, uh, almost two gigawatt. And, and it, it took five years. Two gigawatt, basically, it means that with two gigawatt, you can run about 200,000 cars, electric cars. So <laughs> this is the problem we have to be... I think we should be more careful when we, we give some... Uh, uh, for granted some truth. So you're not just asking for better fact-checking, but you're actually making the point that we need better research to understand actually the positions that yes, are made. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Gentleman here. You need, you need a mic, I'm afraid. Hans for the Law from the uh, Institute for Integrated Economic Research. I very much agree with both two speakers of the previous panel and the gentleman who just made a remark. I think uh, we heard in the previous panel that, you know, some policies actually counter, uh, counteract other policies. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, a, a lack of integrity, of overall integrity. Now, whilst I would agree with Patrick that there's probably not a need for a transition commissioner, I think what is important that we should stop making forecasts and start working with backcasts. And I have a lot of sympathy for Michael as well. You know, directing industry in a directive Chinese way would not work here. But the European Commission sets the safety rails and they say this is the road where industry drives. Now, industry then has freedom to choose whatever course it wants to take, provided it is within those rails. So I think we should set high-level objectives for the future that actually improve the consistency of the human ecosystem and indeed the other gentleman is right in some countries in Europe in quite some countries in Europe actually a Euro 6 diesel car pollutes more than an electric car 
Now, obviously, we will go for electrification because fossil will run out, but it will not be with batteries because then we get one problem, we substitute it for another problem. So my appeal and my question actually would be to this panel, what could be done for the next commission because we've got you know, elections coming up this year? So rather than having a commissioner for transition, what could be done to make overall policy a more integrative approach and therefore more sustainable for the well-being of the human ecosystem. This week, probably most people know in the room, is also the beginning of the World Economic Forum in Davos. I have gone through the whole program and I commented that it reads like a ship inspection that forgets to cover the integrity of the hull. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Um, I'll bring you back in in a moment, if I may, because um, I'm also that the, the clock dropping was obviously symbolic because I'm running out of time. Um, <laughs> Uh, as, as usual. So um, can I just ask, you know, Patrick, do you want to kind of respond to some of the points that have been made, especially that, you know, and it's, it's interesting that, you know, asking you what the mission would be on uh, social sciences, sciences, humanities research, what would that be for you? No, I'm not going to answer that question because, as you know, <laughs> uh, the Commission has I didn't some suggestions yeah. which have been discussed with the other institutions, I and I think, you know, what is important is that uh, in framing the future missions under Horizon Europe, uh, that we uh, you know, achieve the objective that we're setting out to achieve, which is to make uh, cross-cutting, headline, measurable, um, understandable um, goals that mean something to um, individual citizens rather than just the sophisticated experts in the research community. Um, and that necessarily means, I think, building in a strong socio-economic dimension into the design, uh, implementation and delivery of the missions. Um, but just as I don't think it's particularly helpful to have a sort of uh, you know, a much larger earmark budget for uh, socio social sciences and humanities research, I don't think that it's helpful uh, to sort of uh, you know, set out to achieve a, a sort of specific um, uh, social sciences mission per se you know, uh, on principle. Um, uh, just sort of responding to one or two of the other comments, I mean, I, I think that uh, you know, several people have in different ways made a, a similar point, which is that research and innovation policy does not exist in a, in a vacuum um, and that it needs to be accompanied with a sensible, innovation-friendly regulatory framework, um, a sound set of economic incentives, you know, avoiding um, uh, inefficient or, or even damaging subsidies on things that are, you know, we don't want to do anymore, um, as well as using all the different sort of uh, financial instruments that we have at our you know, available, whether they are EU funding, national funding, or uh, you know, other forms of uh, financial support, including from the private sector. And I think if you uh, look back to the Commission's communication of um, uh, November 2016 on accelerating clean energy uh, innovation, this was precisely what we set out to do, was to put the research agenda that we thought is, you know, should be necessary for accelerating this transition in its much broader framework. Um, on the question of, you know, electric vehicles and diesel and all that, um, uh, uh, the Commission, in, its, um, in this report that I mentioned on the, on the decarbonisation pathways, a uh, very clear recommendation that we should focus on the things that really make the most difference and really not put too much attention on making existing technologies better, um, and which leads us to the conclusion that, indeed, we should not, in the future, be uh, funding energy efficiency in the internal combustion engine, for example. 
Um, mm. And yet, uh, you know, I'm you know, part of the discussion with uh, the uh, European Parliament and with the, with the Council on the design and the detail of the sort of specific program for Horizon Europe. Um, and in the last days, I won't say where it came from, but, you know, quite a strong push to say, ah, yes, but, you know, uh, internal combustion engines are going to be with us for the foreseeable future for the reasons that, you know, others have referred to. Um, and so, you know, we should indeed include this element. And so we said, well, you know, we'll discuss it later. But, but you know, so the, the debate is there and we have to, to recognise that. I'd just like to also come back to your point about empowering the social sciences uh, to, you know, challenge, you know, things in, the, in, the, in society or challenge, you know, um, vested interests in heavy industry or whatever it is. I mean, I, I agree with you, uh, but I wonder what you mean when you say empower. Hmm? Um, uh, because, I mean, we, we work in uh, EU research and innovation in essentially in a highly competitive uh, environment that, uh, you know, we don't have enough money unfortunately, to do all the things that we'd like to do. We propose in our MFF proposals to increase significantly the budgets on, on for the next cycle, and we hope that that's what will be agreed. But even if we get that agreement, uh, you know, the present success rates of, what is it, 14 15% under Horizon 2020 are unlikely to be you know, transformed to 50 60%. Um, so where I, I strongly agree that, you know, and I think that's the theme of this discussion, we need to create the space for the good ideas to come from the SSH community um, and leadership where, where that makes sense to, to projects. Um, but that, you know, if empowering SSH means just we need to give more money to SSH on principle because they deserve it, well, then I think we're in a different conversation. But that's my slightly um, provocative reading of what you said, and I'm sure you'll want to um, come back. Thank you. Mm. And you make that interesting point, isn't it, that actually despite what we know, um, the pushback you get to actually, you know, let's keep the combustion engine in, in, the, in, the, in the kind of mix. But that says something about power in itself, uh, doesn't it? And those who are able to shape and influence that dialogue. But perhaps Kathleen come back to that point in a moment. Do you want to comment on and respond to any of the points that you've, that you've heard so far? Because I'll make this as a final round because I'm running out of time. Uh, I'll try to pick up a couple of points in my uh, sort of final remarks. Please do, please start do. here. Uh, maybe I was talking more about self-empowerment as well. Um, my argument is not for more money or less competition of good ideas. I think uh, I'm, I'm also an entrepreneur uh, in science, social science, so I'm, I'm certainly for that competition. Um, what I mean is that there is no... Uh, direct route or facilitated route from the insights um, to the implementation. So there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of evidence and there's a lot of good examples out there, but the translation of those insights um, into actually uh, um, institutional change is not really happening. And that is also something that uh, is the responsibility of the research community itself, but it's also at the heart of how research is done. So the research design, but it's also uh, about the, receptive, uh, uh, the receptability of other actors, um, including at the EU level, but also at the local level. Um, three points. So one is a, a, a couple of comments on directionality and uh, the gilet jaune and uh, what is all happening. From my academic point of view, Transitions are a process of destabilization of what we've uh, gotten used to historically. So the direction is away from an unsustainable economic model. 
and we know it ecologically, but also socially. So yes, the gas prices increase, but it's basically a correction of an unjust ecological uh, system in the past. So we've created incentives to stimulate economic growth, and these incentives were, for example, we don't put a price on environmental pollution. But the incentives were also, you can get incredibly rich as a company or as an individual at the expense of other countries or other people. We've accepted that to create um, welfare, economic progress, which is historically understandable, but we're now uh, entering a different era where we find these values important. So we are seeing the destabilization of an unsustainable economic model. And if you start to hypothesize on potential futures, um, a lot of the transition scenarios are actually not so attractive. Our social collapse, our huge climate crises, our all sorts of uh, uh, um, exploding social unrest. So they're also so transitions are not a nice thing, but they're a necessary precondition to shift to something much better potentially in the future. And then uh, uh, the second point is about the governance uh, aspect and. Um, if transitions are a process moving away from um, uh, a, a, a relatively stable situation where I think all of us are part and parcel of those regimes, as we call them, so they are institutions and policy, but they're also consumers that have gotten used to getting things subsidized, not penalized, don't have to think about energy, it's just there and now the energy bill increases, yes, affordability, but there's also an individual responsibility of consuming less, of trying to be open for different kind of uh, uh, solutions. And I think the Dieselgate is an interesting example. It's clear from all the evidence, but also you can look around, that the way, and the, uh, the woman from the OECD also mentioned it, mm -hmm. the way we use cars is completely stupid in cities. Mm -hmm. 90% uh, of the time we don't use them, they're parked out there, it's, it's highly subsidized, so if you have to pay for your parking, um, there's like a seven times a, a subsidy on the space, it's an expensive space, they're not shared, um, and industry has been very hesitant in moving to different kinds of um, uh, models electric and hydrogen, but also smaller cars, for example, lightweights. So you need disruptors, but you ultimately also need a policy enforcement to break that open. We've had electric cars for 120 years, but it's only because of the social pressure, because of policy intervention, um, that this regime is pushed to start uh, uh, changing its course. At the same time, you see all sorts of experiments, for example, in Belgium with a mobility cooperative, with car sharing schemes, with smart mobility uh, services. You get an invasion in cities of all sorts of new modalities like electric steps or shared bikes or whatever. So if you want a mission, I would say all urban citizens in Europe um, need access, an affordable access to a, um, a shared um, emission zero mobility system which also implies completely phasing out all individual car ownership within city boundaries. So this would be a nice challenge. 
um, we know from all the modeling studies it can be done. You can have um, uh, enough access to mobility. It can be uh, very social because it's much more inclusive and affordable. Um, and it's uh, great for um, our resource situation because you can do with 60-70% less cars. Does industry want it? No, probably not. But it's also a market opportunity for uh, companies that want to mm. engage. So. Indeed. The final point is mm. on the backcasting. We use it a lot. It's an instrument to uh, start exploring alternative futures, but I want to say backcasting without consequences is useless. So we have all these policy ambitions, but there is no consequence. So we don't stop doing what causes the problem. Uh, and the other thing, if we don't uh, achieve these ambitions that we formulate with policy, we just shift the timeline or we transform or, yeah. So it needs to have consequences. Thank you. Michael, any, any response to the issues you've heard so far? Yes, a very short one in the interest of time. Yeah. It is uh, to come back to what the gentleman was saying about that also um, there has to be incentives for industry, yeah. for big actors. So this is what, what I forgot here. I was talking about understanding the incentives for our customers. Yeah. But I, t I truly believe that indeed if the right boundaries, and that's about the rails that the other gentleman was talking yeah. about, are set, Industries, of course, they want to make a profit because otherwise they, they, they cease to exist. But they are intelligent enough, rational enough, to act quite rapidly if the incentives and if the framework and the goals that are set uh, are, are changing in a certain, in a certain direction. Mm. And that's, for example, what, what we have done as a company. And I will not go into details, for example, but at a certain moment you say it's, it's, we're done with the coal-fired power plants. And mm. then people say, oh, are you sure? Yes, we are sure. Mm. Um, so um, it, is, uh, it is subtle. No, but important point about how, how you shift behaviour, not just simply of individuals, but actually company and industry. And that point about directing is perhaps more the case you were trying to make as opposed to anything else. But Kathleen, final point from you and concluding remarks. Well, let me be very brief because uh, Professor Lorbach said what I also wanted to say as being an essential message of, of, of today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've never said, and maybe I was not clear, I've never said that I believe that if you just transform the combustion engine to an electric car, and that everything is solved. Absolutely not. Uh, it's about completing um, transformation and transition of the way we live. Uh, um, and that makes it so extremely difficult. Um, and that's why we need social sciences. And that's why we need to rethink our thinking on these issues. Uh, we need a completely other transport system as we have today. If you would uh, have a, a, a white paper and would say, how would we how would we organize ourselves in terms of uh, uh, economy and transport? Nobody would invent an individual car. Absolutely nobody. Um, it happened. Uh, that's the beauty of life, I think. But now we need to change that. Um, um, and my last point, and that's very much connected to that, um, I have to, in the parliament, um, I, I come from a big group. We have all the delegations in our group. Eh? It's not easy to talk to my Romanian and Polish colleagues when I say, phase out of coal. Eh? Mm. They say, you're stupid or what? <laughs> eh? And I understand them. In the beginning, I, I shouted back. <laughs> but now I start to understand them. Eh? If there's so many people working in these sectors... You need to take them into that transition, and it needs to be a just transition. Um, and, I, I, and that is so crucial. And for that, we need science to help us 
to implement that in a proper way. Mm. Indeed, you do. And actually, I'm going to plug for our publication. We've just we brought something out just before Christmas, uh, actually, on um, transitions of you know coal mining economies. And it's it's absolutely the case that whilst the research is there. There's such innovation happening right now, but also how do you cross-pollinate where the West or the South has done it successfully into the East and enable um, the, you know, those economies not to suffer? And by, actually by using creative use of funding, actually. Creative economic transfers, potentially. Thank you all. And I'm going to borrow from a gentleman that, that uh, was at our conversation yesterday. Um, but actually, the sum of this, really, is that the, you know, almost that the past can't be a blueprint for our future and that's something to, for us to think about deeply and thoughtfully can I just thank our panellists, thank you all so much and thank you again and you have a full hour for lunch you'll be pleased to know and then you're back in here for the session where we think about learning from others I also, also as I'm reminded, uh, thank you is Slido. That lovely little thing I've been talking about all day. So I would recommend, if we can put the slide up, it's very straightforward. You go to www.do, that's it, do it. It's really straightforward. And you're not having to sign, you just put your name in. Okay, thank you very much.